0: I'd like you to open your Bibles to Psalm 100, Psalm 100, and um, I I had a difficult time uh, again, it seems like I've said that before recently, uh, but I had a difficult time again this week coming uh, to rest on a passage uh, for this morning There are several reasons for that. One is, we've had an absolute mess all week long here, (laughs) as you can see. um, I mentioned to Charlotte late in the afternoon, I think, uh, Friday, that uh, leaving all that stuff out there is kind of like hanging out your laundry. Because believe it or not, that all came out of my office. (laughs) And it is not all going back. (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to do with it but I'm going to do something with it and uh we're going to uh minimize uh my office uh, for a season uh, until it accumulates uh, another 10 or 20 years of stuff but uh we we've had a mess and uh a lot of distractions and a lot of things going on and so Uh, It's been difficult to carve out those uh, thoughtful hours of just being able to to meditate. The other thing that uh, has been difficult for me is, uh, and I share this by way of confession, some people think uh, preachers are perfect. (laughs) You don't really think that, do you? (laughs) Just hang out with me for a while. I'll dispel the notion. But anyway... Um, I've had a month or so of just gloom and doom. Um, I've been irritable, ornery, (laughs) fatigued, um, frustrated, and, uh, in general, a grumpy bear. And, uh, as a consequence of that, uh, I was reading a little ahead and I came upon Psalm 100 and... It was like, ah, that's uh, that's a tough one. And so I tried to preach on Psalm 91. Uh, I thought I would study that for a bit. That seemed like a good psalm because uh, David's running for cover in Psalm 91. And that fit my mood better. But um, I couldn't get away from Psalm 100. So here we are. And I just uh, I just want you to know that what I'm sharing with you this morning, the Lord has been preaching to me uh, the end of this week and uh, speaking to my heart about it. And what I'm sharing with you is what I know to be true. Regardless of whether I have put it into practice, I am determined, and that's the essence of repentance, is to have a change of mind... I am determined to put it into practice uh, beginning today and moving forward uh, with this because it's a very, very important psalm for us. Let's uh, look at it together, and uh, I'll read. You can follow. I happen to be reading at this moment from the New American Standard Bible. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. You know, the Hebrews had a very different um, idea of worship than than we do. Uh, I've had some discussions in the last week or two about different worship styles and modes and I don't know if you realize that uh, in the midst of all of the um, contemporary worship styles that are out there and many of the up-and-coming churches and a lot of the big box churches and most churches for that matter are uh, engaging in what we call contemporary worship and That uh, usually means um, guitars and drums and all those kinds of instruments and praise songs and so forth. And there is actually a movement uh, by a number of people to go back to liturgical services. Um, Rowena was having a conversation the other day with someone and they were talking about uh, wanting the stained glass, wanting the uh, ambiance of solemnity, wanting the choir, wanting the, the organ and piano duets, the pipe organ and piano duets, and getting back to this very formal, very structured kind of worship uh, that speaks volumes of dignity and, and sedateness, and somber tones uh, as we contemplate the mysteries of the Almighty. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Because worship, for one thing, is a cultural kind of expression. And if you look at the way African believers worship, they worship very differently from us. If you look at Indonesian... Believers, they worship differently from Africans. Uh, European believers worship different from South American believers. And so on it goes. Genuine followers of Christ have different ways of expressing the things that move their heart toward God. But the Hebrews were a very emotional people. And when it came to worshiping, They went all out. They really were excited about God. And they couldn't contain it. And so David writes, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. And he wasn't talking about quiet, somber tones. It was shout joyfully to the Lord. I know I woke some of you up. I... (laughs) I apologize for that, um, but the exuberance was there. I'm going to pick on you a little bit, Jan. where are you Here over there in the corner? <laughs> I, I'm, I Sometimes I'm in the back and'm I'm, I'm watching during the praise songs, and Jan is really worshiping God, I can tell, because she's just so excited and uh, and actually, um, she's about halfway toward these uh, Hebrew worshipers. Um, they were all dancing. They were all waving their arms. They were all shouting. They were all rejoicing. They were so excited about the Lord. And David says, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. <laughs> Not just the people. Remember when Jesus was uh, riding into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday? Uh, he was coming into Jerusalem And uh, the Pharisees and teachers along the way said, tell your disciples and these people to be quiet. I mean, they're, they're, they're out of order here. And he said, I tell you, if they close their mouths, the very rocks of the ground will cry out in praise. You cannot stop rejoicing over my advent into Jerusalem for this week. And so there was the great waving of the palm branches and throwing down their coats and shouting and, and dancing and waving their arms and praising God. And it was a great commotion. For some of us, you know, that would be shell shock uh, to go to church and find that kind of activity going on. But that's how they were worshiping. And it reminds me of Paul's uh, word to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. And I'm not talking to you this morning about mind over matter, uh, where you just pretend that the problems don't exist. And you close your eyes, uh, and deny whatever's going on of a negative nature. I'm speaking about a choice to rejoice in the Lord always and again rejoice and rejoice again. Let's uh, look at, uh, well, I'll look at it and you can, uh, you can listen in, um, Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, here's the solution for the problems. Paul's not telling us to ignore them. He's telling us to do something with them. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul says, whatever is troubling you, whatever's Holding you back, whatever is attacking you, whatever is causing you anxiety and worry and stress, talk to God about it. Bring it to Him in prayer. Don't just ignore it. Be proactive. Bring it to the Lord. Ask Him to get involved in it. Let Him know what you need. And as you're doing so, be thankful enter into an exercise of recalling God's blessings. Because we need to balance, and and this is throughout this psalm, we need to balance the stresses and difficulties and hard moments of life with the blessings and the good things that we have. Every once in a while... You know, I have those mornings, and some of you can relate to that, where nothing works, buttons won't go through holes, and I I don't wear tie shoes because I can't tie them anymore. And uh, so I just slip into loafers, uh, and they rest easily on the floor where my feet can find them. I don't have to pick them up. All those kind of good things. And everything hurts, you know, and you, and you just kind of, miserable and I do genuinely in those moments when I'm tempted to gripe I genuinely stop and think about all the things that work and I'm grateful we have to balance we have to balance you know, I, whatever it is that is troubling you, if you will think about it, there is some counterbalance that is blessing you in that same arena. You may be struggling with financial difficulties. You may be wrestling with how to manage bills. Maybe you had an unexpected repair or a hospitalization or Something has come upon you and, and all of a sudden you're kind of trying to figure out where to get all the money from. And what do you have right now? What do you enjoy? What is yours? You know, Rowena came in yesterday with a car full of groceries. And um, we unloaded them. And started putting them away and we sat down to have a chicken salad sandwich for lunch. And as I was saying the blessing, I was thinking about, we not only have this sandwich, we just unloaded a car full of groceries. We have everything we need for the week. And more. And God has blessed us. It's not just this one little thing. It's His bounty. There are so many ways that God blesses us. And both the psalmist and Paul, and if you study the Scriptures carefully, are telling us we're not to to be head-in-the-sand ostriches ignoring reality. But we are to bring into that reality the balance of blessing. So that we can contemplate the goodness of God and be thankful. And so he says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's a good, if a good report or repute, if there's excellence or anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Did you know that we are encouraged in Scripture to treat our minds as our servant? Not driving us, but serving us. And not letting it run wild with all kinds of lies and and deceitfulness and the things that the enemy would interject into our minds to get us off track but we are called to to take our mind and focus on specific things. And in that focus, it should be the the true, the honorable, the right, the pure, the lovely, things of good reputation, excellence, and worthy of praise. This is our call. And so when David says in Psalm 100 and verse 1, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. It reminds me, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Now, I know that we've been encouraging you to read the New International Version. And if you're looking at it or reading it right now, you will recognize that verse 2 actually begins with worship. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before Him with joyful singing. And you might say to yourself, why does the New American Standard say serve? And why does the NIV say worship? And I was working on this verse and kind of tooling over it. And I was going back and forth and I said, wait a minute, those are radically different meanings. You could stretch it a little bit to say that serving is an act of worship. But what is the real concept in verse 2? What is he really saying to us? And so I looked that up, and I discovered that the word is translated worship in the Scriptures seven times. But it is translated serve 141 times. So if you had to pick, which would you pick? I would go with serve. Now... You might say, well, why did the translators of the NIV go with worship? Well, they're translating a psalm that has Hebrew parallelism. And worship seems to fit better in the parallel structure. So I understand their point. But I don't think that's what was in mind here. I think it really is... Serve the Lord with gladness, and if you want to extend that to, to, to view it as an act of worship, that's fine, because it is true. Everything we do is an act of worship. Have you thought about that? We tend to compartmentalize our lives, and we come here on Sunday morning, and we tend to think, this is worship. No, this is the celebration of worship. And we ought to come in the door worshiping. Or worship is not likely to happen once we get here. Worship is the active service of our lives to the Lord. Paul encourages us that way in Romans chapter 12. And I'll turn there because... My mind just blinked. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you can prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, every moment of our lives is an act of worship. As we live our lives for God, devoted to Him, committed to Him, our lives become an act of worship. And so everything we do is touched by the sacred. And it doesn't matter what you're doing, as long as it's honorable before the Lord. It is touched by the sacred. It's holy ground because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And you take the very presence of God everywhere you go. So whatever you're doing, whether you're driving, whether you're eating, whether you're sleeping, whether you're having coffee with a friend, uh, whatever you're doing is an act of worship. It's a part of what we are. But also, our service to the Lord is an act of worship. God has given every one of us gifts. The Holy Spirit has bestowed upon us unique abilities that are supernatural in their essence because they come from Him. And we are encouraged to use those gifts to bless one another and cause the body to grow up in love, into a mature family. And that's our encouragement. And so every one of us has a job. We are to serve the Lord with gladness. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. But it also implies a special kind of relationship. If you're serving someone, who are you and who are they? You're a servant and they are a master. Is that not true? I mean, even if you're working, if you're an independent contractor and you're working for pay. Who really calls the shots? If you insist on calling all the shots, you won't work very long. (laughs) You're working for someone else who has a goal that they want you to accomplish. And if you don't do what they want, you won't be working very long. It implies a relationship. And with God, it implies a relationship of servant to master. If we lose sight of that relationship... Or branch out on our own. It is likely that we're going to grow very weary. With doing God's work. Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 to 10. But particularly verse 9. Says do not grow weary. With well doing. How many of you have taken on a task that you considered service to the Lord and found after a while that it was getting old and you were getting very tired of it and it was wearing you out I'm going to talk about that at the end of the message but does that lend itself towards serving the Lord with gladness no it, it really doesn't Serve the Lord with gladness, and then come before Him with joyful singing. There's an imagery in verse 4, enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise, that as we come to that place of collective corporate worship, that we do so with gladness and shouts of joy, and then with joyful singing. There's a time for meditative singing. There's a time for reflective singing. There is a time for the, the somber tones that cause us to sit quietly in God's presence and meditate upon Him. But there is a time in corporate worship for joyful singing, where we sing happy, joyful, exuberant, delightful songs that fill us with praise and energy. He says, know that the Lord himself is God. I'm tempted to uh, take off on this a little bit, but I'm going to resist, I think. Know that the Lord Himself is God. The psalmist is calling to mind here an awareness of who our God is. Who our Lord is. The word, know that the Lord is God, is Jehovah. This is God's covenant name with His people. Know that this one is God. And there are no other gods before him. There's a movement today in many cultures to adapt whatever cultural terminology they have for God and and to call and to begin to explain and reinterpret that God. I'm not going to argue with the missiologist. But personally, it seems to me better to just start all over and introduce the true God as Jehovah God and what his character is like. And our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, we need to be very clear about that. That he is God. There is no other God. There is no one else like Him. There is no other God that can stand before Him. He is God. And He made us, not we ourselves. Have you heard the phrase, He's a self-made man. Woe that anyone would ever say that about me. That would scare me. No one is a self-made person. There are people who did it my way, I did it my way, you know. They followed their dream, they reached the stars, they accomplished their goals, and they did it my way, all the way. I don't envy them at the judgment. That's not a safe place to be. God made us. He is The one who designed us not only in the original creation, but he designed us in our attributes, our abilities, our bent toward certain things, our uniqueness. He made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. There is a relationship, a covenant relationship, a creator relationship between us and God that is both comforting on the one hand and awesome on the other. I belong to Him. If ever there were a cure for loneliness or isolation or or feeling an outcast, how does it feel to belong to God? To be His. And to have Him as your shepherd, guiding and caring for you and providing for you. And, you know, it's not an accident that God chose sheep in the scripture to describe uh, the way we relate to Him. And sheep. Not very flatteringly, or are not very smart. They really need a shepherd. They don't do well without a shepherd. But we have a shepherd. There are those that want to break out of the flock and they want to do it their way. They want to be their own person. They want to go their own direction. They want to uh, write their own ticket. And they really are alone. But for those of us who know the Lord, he made us and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so the psalmist says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You know, if you look at the way the tabernacle was designed, there was an outer perimeter that had a a gate of entry. And then there there was the courtyard, and it was in the courtyard that the corporate worship of Israel took place because the tent of meeting was inside of that, the holy place and the holy of holies that was reserved for the ministry of the priest. But they went before the Lord and came back before the people as intercessors. All of that has been now uh, subsumed in Jesus Christ so that we can come boldly into the Holy of Holies, because Jesus, our High Priest, has entered the heavenlies and made a new and living way for us. But the imagery in the Old Testament that is being called by the psalm here, is as the people would approach the tent of meeting to worship, they would come to the gate. And he says, As you come, enter His gates with thanksgiving, And then as you arrive within the courts, let your thanksgiving turn to praise. That you rejoice and give thanks to God and bless His holy name. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Again, friends, this is not an option. It's a commandment. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. What would it be like? Just as a suggestion. What would it be like when you pulled into the parking lot on a Sunday morning. And before you got out of your car. You began to. Recount the things that you're thankful for. And as you get out and gather your things and move toward the front door, you continue to enumerate in your mind the things you're thankful for. And then as you come into this place of corporate gathering, in your heart it turns to praise. Lord, I praise you. I, I give you glory and honor. That is due your name. I thank you because of all your bounty. I worship you this morning. To deliberately step through that sequence. As thanksgiving turns to praise. And we bless his name. Have you ever wondered how it is that you bless God? You know, one of the psalms says, Lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Or bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. How do you bless God? I mean, He doesn't need anything. How do you bless Him? You bless Him by recognizing all that He's done for you. And you attribute it to Him. You praise Him. You Give Him thanks, you rejoice in Him, and that blesses God. How do you feel when you feel blessed? Do you feel excited? Do you feel warm inside? Do you feel uh, close to God when when, when you're sensing His blessing? Do Do you sense His presence? How does God feel when He is blessed? He's drawn to you. He wants to reach out and draw you in. He's, can I say, proud of you? He rejoices in you. You don't think God rejoices in you? Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you in His love. He will joy over you with singing. So just imagine in your mind that as you approach the front doors with thanksgiving and you transition to praise and you begin to speak of the goodness of God and the blessing of God, there's another voice singing in the worship. God is singing about you. How much He loves you. What a delight you are to Him. How much He rejoices in you. We don't begin to fathom how much God loves us. I have loved you with an everlasting love. You are mine. I chose you. And He sings over us. Verse 5 says, For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. You know, of all the words that describe God, I think this has to be my favorite. Not because I consciously made a choice, but because I often find myself thanking God for His loving kindness. And to me, that joint word has great meaning. First of all, he loves me. He really, really loves me. Even when I'm a grumpy bear. He loves me. But his love is mediated to me with kindness. Those of you that are parents, you know, you, you can love your kids and not always be kind. Sometimes they irritate the life out of you. And you don't feel warm fuzzies toward them. <laughs> but God's love is always mediated with kindness. Do you have an image in your mind of what kind is? That, that considerate, uh, gentle, compassionate, beckoning, fear driving away, comfort and security enveloping, loving kindness. His loving kindness lasts forever. There are many other ways this word is used uh, with, with other kinds of statements following. But it says to me two things about the nature of God. One is, David says, your loving kindness is new every morning. That means it's an inexhaustible supply. No matter how much you need of it today, when you wake up tomorrow the well will be brim full and flowing over. It's it's new and fresh every morning. You cannot exhaust the supply. But secondly, it lasts forever. There will never be a day that you wake up and discover the well is dry. It will last throughout all eternity. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. What does it mean for God to be faithful? He keeps his word. He never lies to you. He'll never let you down. He's a solid rock on which to stand. David says, my feet were slipping into the miry clay, but he lifted me up and set me upon a rock. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. And so there is that stability with God. And that covenant-keeping nature. We are his and he is mine forever and forever. God is faithful. He will not... Fail us. What a tremendous blessing that is to have that. You know, I fail him. I get myself in a stew from time to time. I lose sight of the goal. I stumble off the path. God will never fail me. In fact, the scripture says, Paul writes to Timothy, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. That's something. Even when we've run out, he's sticking by us. Because his loving kindness is everlasting. I have some thoughts for you to take away very briefly. Joyful singing and praise is a choice. It's a choice. One of the hardest things we ever have to do as followers of Jesus Christ, did you know one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control? And One of the hardest things we ever have to do is control self. It's not us doing it, but to yield to the Holy Spirit who wants to exercise control over ourselves. And what that means is that sometimes we need to do things we don't want to do. Don't feel like doing. Don't like to do. But we just need to do them. Thankfulness and praise is a choice. Singing with one another Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing praise to the Lord is the testimony and evidence of being filled with the Spirit. And sometimes we just need to go back and choose to sing. Remember Paul and Silas in the jail, in the middle of the night, and they were singing songs of praise after they had been beaten half to death. And then chained to a stone wall in a damp dungeon. They were singing praise to God. Do you suppose they felt like it? I don't think so. But they chose to do it. And amazing things happened on that occasion. Not saying that the prison bars are going to open. And the the doors are going to fly apart. And the jailer's going to fall on his face and trust Christ every time. But... Amazing things happen. Secondly, if you have become weary in serving God, one of two things is likely true. And I know this from my experience, even when I lose sight of it. You're either serving God in your own strength, and when you're called upon by God to do supernatural things, and you're trying to do them on your own, That's kind of tiring. That's not going to work very long. Or you're doing things you're not supposed to be doing. You know, maybe you're like me. The hardest word in the world I have to say is no. I don't know how to say no. I have a hard time with that. So I say yes, 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 yes. And then all of a sudden... I have more things than I can possibly accomplish. And I'm overwhelmed. And it's like, God, why'd you do this to me? All I'm trying to do is, is serve you. <laughs> but it's like, I didn't do that to you. You're supposed to ask me about those things. And you're not supposed to do what I don't tell you to do. I- I'm still trying to figure that one out. I- I've been a pastor for 40 years. And I've lived 23 years longer than that. And I'm still trying to figure that out. But it comes back to me once in a while. Are you doing things God didn't ask you to do? And if you are, you need to... As the scripture says, if you became surety for a neighbor and you made a promise that you can't keep... Proverbs, did you read that one yet? Go quickly to your neighbor and seek forgiveness and ask to be let, let off the hook. Because you've been really stupid and you need to go fix it. Because you're biting off more than you can chew. Begin your day and your worship. This is number three in the final one. Begin your day and your worship with a purposeful recall of your blessings and God's goodness to you. Simple Psalm, five verses. Powerful motivation to rejoice in the Lord. And the rewards... You have yet to see until you put it into practice. So, you can hold me to it. By the grace of God, I'm going to put it into practice. And I'm going to pray for you. And next Sunday, when you get out of your car and head in, start being thankful. Start, I I don't mean... Just be thankful. I mean, call to mind things for which you are grateful. And then begin to praise. And see what kind of worship experience you have when you come in the door worshiping the Lord. Father, thank you for your word to us. Speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.